On today's episode, you are going to hear a live recording from Proclaim Truth Conference. This was recorded way, way, way back in January of 2019, January 25th. We were delighted to be at the Proclaim Truth Conference. Incredible conference happening just about every year here in Dallas. The mission of Proclaim Truth is to encourage women in their calling to make disciples and to equip them in their pursuit of knowing God and making him known. And so Jen, myself, JT, and then our good friend Elizabeth Woodson joined us for a live podcast at Proclaim Truth. We have never done this before, and that will become obvious to you the moment you start listening. We had a great time with it. We had a great time at Proclaim Truth. We love what they're doing, and we hope you enjoy the show. Um, so, but uh, I can't believe... Um, yeah. <laughs> That's JT. Yeah, you're over there. Yeah. All right. Howdy, howdy, how we doing? Is this on? Can you can you hear us? Can you hear us? Is this on? Check, 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 check. Hello, 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 hello. All right, yeah. Is this on? Elizabeth, say something profound. Hey, hey. Elizabeth is on. Is this on? Check, 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 check. Yeah, you hear me? Is mine on? Oh, man. We're pros. We've done this a lot. We've never done this. How's it going, y'all? Great. Hey, if you're on the sides, we can, we have to kind of see each other's faces to make this work so we can take our clues to shut up and let mm-hmm. another person talk. Uh, and so if you're over here, you're going to see a lot of our, uh, of our profile, which is, you're good with that. We're good with that if you're good with that. Um, hey, uh, listen, we are really excited to be doing this. And uh, we are, this is a live recording for us. We've never done a live recording and we're thrilled to be doing it. And, and we so, may never do another one. Yeah, this might be it. This might be it, yeah. Um, so we need a yeah. lot from you today. Yeah. So this is Knowing Faith. It's a podcast of the Village Church. Uh, these are my co-host, JT English. I don't know if you guys know who this is. I'd like to quickly introduce Jim Wilkin. Um, everywhere I go, I have to introduce Jim. Um, it's really embarrassing, frankly. Uh, and this is Elizabeth Woodson. Uh, yeah, you just hey, heard her. Friend. She was dropping bombs. Uh, at Miss Jazzy Liz. Yeah. Not Jazzy Liz. Not Jazzy. Miss, Miss. Jazzy Yeah, Liz. very formal. Um, <laughs> Uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about can I know who God is and how God is. So we're talking about doctrine of God in line with the theme of this conference, which we're excited to be at. And so uh, real quick, can I hear from the fellas in the room? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I felt like, uh, I felt walking in, I was like, I've never been more afraid of mansplaining something in my life <laughs> than today. <laughs> We were in the back when Elizabeth was teaching. I was like, Kyle, 50 bucks, front row right now. And he's like, no way. There's no amount of money that would have made that doable for me. Um, okay. I thought this was a men's conference. Hey. I was confused. We mm. welcome your Y chromosomes here, Thank Token you. Males. Yeah, yeah. Aww. We're grateful to be here. Thank you for coming, yeah. Token Males. Super, super token excited. Male. Super excited to be here. How do you think JT and I would do on the women's conference circuit, JT? <laughs> I think it would be adorable. Oh, wow. That's that, one word. Are you, is that offensive? Yeah, I, I'm offended by yeah. it. Adorable. <laughs> adorable. How do you think we'd do? I mean, you know, it'd be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, um, well, uh, so, hey, listen, during the show, uh, if you want to ask a question, let me give you a link that you can go to. Um, that link is Slido. It's S-L-I dot D-D-D, not D-D-O, S-L-I dot D-O slash... Uh, forward slash knowing faith, all one word. When you want to ask questions. When you want to ask questions. Because we need you to ask questions. We do. If you don't ask questions, a large, this show will be very short. It's going to be a lot of dead air. Uh, and so we, uh, we really debated today whether or not we initially, and I think that even the way that we sold it to Proclaim Truth and Angie Likens and that whole crew was, hey, we want to do a podcast on brothers and sisters doing theology together. That was kind of the initial mm-hmm. thought that we had. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the more that we thought about actually doing that, we thought, well, we could get up here and just talk about that, or we could just demonstrate. Do it. We could yeah. just do it. Um, do it. And that felt like more in spirit of the show. So that's what we're going to do. So we're talking about can I know who God is and how God is. Uh, and you guys are just a part of this conversation. So we're going to really be talking to one another. Again, this is just what we do when we're together. And so you're just getting to kind of be invited into that. So we'll take the next 25 or 30 minutes to talk through some of these questions. Uh, and then we'll pivot to doing some Q&A. I get to see all the questions as they populate, as you put them up on Slido. And so we'll start working through those questions on the back half of the show. But let's just start with this. Let's start big picture. Wait, before, can I just ask you, does this feel a little to you like when someone comes over to your house and you haven't cleaned it yet and they're <laughs> peering into your, because I'm like, 
they know what we're usually doing. Yeah. Normally, we're just in this cave of a room. <laughs> yep. Throwing things at each other yep. and Googling things in the middle of the <laughs> podcast. So yeah. I feel like we just That's invited you into our, our untidy house. Yeah. So just be aware, you might learn more about the Knowing Faith podcast than you wanted to yeah, by yeah, actually yeah. witnessing the You genuinely the know happen. as much about what's going to happen over the next <laughs> yeah. time. Oh, you have as, as much do. of the plan as we do. There are no notes. It's true. Somebody, somebody came up to me a couple of weeks ago and was like, man, it's incredible uh, how much scripture you guys have memorized, how many quotes you have. I was like, oh, wow. wait, what? And they said, yeah, because you guys just throw them out. I was like, no, Google has all that. Yeah, stuff. get all on the Googs. I'm yeah. like, Bavink, God, maybe, question mark. And they're like, yeah, that's what I was looking for. Jen, keep talking so I can get this quote down real quick. Yeah, yeah he's going like this while you're yep. Googling. Yeah, so no. now you get to see all of that happening right now. Um, so you'll leave and unsubscribe from our podcast. <laughs> A lot of risk, a little upside here. Um, (laughs) When we start by talking about the question of who God is, Mm -hmm. it's important that we distinguish between theology Mm -hmm. and theology proper, okay? So when I say um, theology and distinction from theology proper, JT, what am I often, what am I doing here? Theology is is the bigger umbrella. Theology includes kind of all the disciplines under theology. It would include anthropology, like the doctrine of man, or Mm -hmm. soteriology, the doctrine of how God saves us, ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. Uh, so theology is, think of like this bigger umbrella. Theology proper is one of those kind of buckets underneath the umbrella that is specifically about the doctrine of God, okay. how we can come to know God, kind of this uh, a fancy term that could be included as prolegomena, like kind of this, it's, uh, it's basically... <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's a $5 word, I expect payment later. Uh, oh, basically what it means is like, how can we come to know God? Who is God? How does God make himself known to us are the questions we're talking about when we talk about theology proper. Yeah. And um, we often say, um, one of us will say this, and we, I think all of us kind of say it a little bit differently, but uh, that the answer to the question, who is God, is not the answer to every question, but it should shape the answer to all the questions, That's right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we get into doctrine of God, what are some of the biggest topics you've You've actually written, you're the only one up there who's written a book about that. Well, you wrote a dissertation. Ah, JT. Um, I'm sorry, just. There are four people in the world who've read my dissertation. Yeah. And they're all they were related all on to my committee, my blood. Yeah. and one was my mom. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not kidding. Um, okay, so you're the only one that's written a successful book on this. <laughs> I received that. Sorry, man. Um, uh, so what are some of the biggest topics that when we're addressing the doctrine of God, what gets folded into that? Mm-hmm. What, what are the topics? Well, Elizabeth just hit on um, the first, you want to take, I mean, Elizabeth just did a session for us that was phenomenal, yeah. phenomenon, phenomenal, um, talking about the Trinity. So understanding yeah. the nature of the Trinity and um, how the Father, Son, and the Spirit relate. And just so you guys know, that dissertation that JT wrote was on the Trinity. And so Elizabeth had to teach while Smarty Pants sat at the back <laughs> of the room. Bag. And listen, it is so hard to talk Come about the on. Trinity. Like the first year I worked with JT, I was in terror that I would pray the wrong way, that I, you know, you're like, dear Jesus, Father, Lord. <laughs> yeah, the no, Lord should strike more fear in you oh, than me. And so now yeah. I just say, dear God, you yeah. know, just go with God every time. Um, uh, Jesus, the Son, wait a minute, you know. Yeah. And uh, so the, the Trinity is a big part of that, yeah. and, and it's a, it is a hard part yeah. of that. It's, it's just straight up is a hard part. And then uh, the other part would be um, the, what we call the yeah. attributes of God, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm going to get to talk about uh, later on at the conference today. Yeah. Uh, and the attributes of God are that what is true about God. I mean, the, the doctrine of God is asking what is true about yeah. God. And so the attributes sort of begin to break that down. God is um, infinite. That's one of his attributes. And that means that he has actually an infinite number of attributes. But he has disclosed plenty of them to you and me, enough to keep us plenty busy for the 70, 80, 90 years that we live and breathe here on the planet. So things like God is immutable, God is um, incomprehensible, God is omniscient, omnipotent. Those would all fall into one category that we call incommunicable. They're things that are only true about mm-hmm. God. And then there are his other attributes, which are often called his communicable attributes, that he's loving, just, merciful, gracious, the things that are true of him, mm-hmm. that as his image bearers also become true of us by the work of the Spirit. Yeah. 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 Anything to add to that? No, I mean, I think um, the Trinity and then and the communicable and communicable attributes, and I think a lot of times when it comes to knowing God, it just is a place of where am I in that? Mm-hmm. And just like Jen was talking about, what pieces relate to me and then what pieces can I not 
think a lot of times the ways we try to imitate God that we're not supposed to. Yeah. Um, and so where do I fit appropriately in that doctrine of God? That's good. So we have nature, we have attributes. Is character something else outside of that? Because oftentimes you'll hear somebody say, man, that's just true of God's character. So is it, when we're talking about nature and attributes, is character a third thing? Is it a third bucket? I'm asking genuinely. <laughs> I, I, I think I don't speak of them that way. Okay. Is this a moment for me to receive correction? No, I don't know. I mean, In front of a crowded room, that feels good. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I actually brought you up here today. Yeah. Uh, I, I have some I, issues with none like him. I think um, I use character of God interchangeably with God's attributes. Yeah, I think but, a lot of people do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we're great. We just decided. You've been a great audience. Thank you. Uh, uh, so if we're talking about nature and attributes, uh, let me just ask kind of the biggest question right up front. Can I know who God is and how he is? Like, can I know who he is and, and how he is? And if so, how, how do I know these things? I'm going to go with yes. Good. So I mentioned that one of God's attributes is that his, he's incomprehensible, which mm-hmm. means he's not able to be fully understood. Yeah. Uh, and that does not mean that he's not able to be understood. It just means that because he's infinite, he's not able to be fully understood. But yeah, it's his, God's pleasure to disclose his nature and character to us in dun, da, 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 the word. His word. Yeah, yeah, in the word. And also, you can learn things about him in nature. Right. You know, those two mm-hmm. forms of revelation we talk about a lot. Yeah. And then himself in Jesus, mm-hmm. which is a big one. Yes, yeah. in Jesus. Um, that, uh, so when we're thinking about, yes, we can know who God is and how he is, how we know those things. And sometimes we'll talk about this in terms of uh, general and special revelation. Right. Right? Yeah. General revelation being... Um, Standing at the Grand Canyon. Right. And you know that you're not a big deal, Right. So you may not be able to put your finger on the, the, the natural revelation or general revelation. I always describe it as the broad brush strokes of God's disclosure of himself. So you can get sort of a, it's almost like an impressionist painting thing. But then if you go to the scriptures, you begin to see a fine tip pen uh, drawing of who he is. Yeah. Can we, can we talk about this for a second? No. Nope. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> well, we got some time to kill then. <laughs> um, so I was reading today uh, on a flight this morning and I, so I'm still kind of processing some of this. Hey, uh, I was on that flight. You were on that flight. Where Jenna, was I? You, okay, you guys want to hear a story? <laughs> I can show you a picture. No, uh, no pictures. Jen and I did a conference last night in Lubbock, and we were getting on a flight this morning, and uh, we, we arrived JT at the says, airport. JT says, hey, do you want some coffee? Yes. And I was like, I mean, sure, whatever. That's what a friend would do. And then they, they call my name from the podium. She got upgraded to seat 1A. So I was like, oh, see, I'm not going to have time for you to get me coffee because I got to go get on the plane. <laughs> that is what happened. And anytime I get on a plane that Jen's on, she always gets on before me because this of her best. status. I love this. And I get on and I act like I don't work with Jen, but that I know Jen through her books. I'm like, oh, <gasps> <laughs> are you Jen Wilkin? It's pretty incredible. And I'll take a selfie. <laughs> And then I have to sit next to some stranger for the rest of the flight. And that's the best it's part. The worst. Yeah, and it's incredible yeah. because JT actually has a whole scroll of photos where JT so will take wrong. selfies of people taking so selfies bad. with Jin. I call it's so it, bad. I call it selfie inception. <laughs> I literally have about 40 photos of this. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, you were going to say something. I was going to say something. But that's actually what I wanted to say about getting on a flight, so we can move on. So... It's important, I think, here, and I know that this kind of can get technical. I don't know how technical we want to take this All part the of the way conversation. There. I think it's there. But, like, there are even, it, we, it's not yeah. enough to just say that God can be known and that He's known in Scripture, because there can still be some false ways of knowing God in those means. Yeah. So, Bobbink was talking, I was reading Bobbink this morning, and he was talking about there are two false ways of knowing, and these come, and here's why this is important is that we don't realize that these false ways of knowing are a part of our DNA because mm. we know things, we know other things by means of these things, if yep. that makes sense. And he highlights two things. He says, we can't, yes, God can be known, but we can't know him through these two streams. One of them, he says, is rationalism, that God is not primarily known through our, our rationality or our reasonability or our ability to even read Revelation reasonably. Now, he's not saying that it's unreasonable or that God speaks in unreasonable ways, but that we're not primarily coming to know God simply through intellect, yeah. if that makes sense. Like, it's not like, God is speaking something, I rationalize it, and then it makes it, it it's not, again, it's not, not that, right. but it can't be solely that. And the other mm-hmm. one that he has beef with, and that I think the tradition has beef with, is empiricism. Yeah. 
you can't know God simply through like sensory experience mm-hmm. that can then be somehow translated into a knowledge of God. And again, it's not that we don't have sensory experience mm-hmm. of a knowledge of God, whether it's through prayer or reading the word or having encounters with God that are mm-hmm. very real and meaningful. Those things happen, but those aren't the primary means by which we come to know God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to get back to your question, if it's not rationalism and empiricism, how do we come to know God? Right. right. And I think there's even, we could probably throw out more than this, there but I'm even thinking about, because um, we're both reading Prolegomena right now yep. um, by Bavink. If, if you're not familiar with Herman Bavink, Reform Dogmatics, four-volume set, it's worth every penny. It's in, it's, we're both working through it this year. It's, it's my, a long read. It's my year goal. Yeah, yeah. Get through it again. Uh, it's good. It's worth the time. But in Prolegomena, he also talks about, uh, he takes issue with Schleiermacher yeah. and the feelings approach romanticism, right? Yeah. Because, and, 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 <laughs> this is hey, a big whoa, deal. Whoa, whoa. Hey, I know you feel strongly about what I'm about to say. All right, but just say Prolegomena a little slower. <laughs> okay. Sorry. <laughs> so, German I, I've, 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 I've seen you slam dunk on what I'm about to say. So, Schleier, mocker. mocker. <clears throat> I like the mocker part a lot. There we go. So uh, like the, the issue that we primarily can come to know God through how we feel about him yep. or mm-hmm. feelings. Mm-hmm. That, and I think which is a huge issue in evangelicalism. He actually says, he doesn't use the word evangelicalism. He, says, he basically says Schleiermacher's DNA is everywhere in Christianity yes. and we have to cut the head off. Right. I mean, a great example of that is when people will talk about sometimes the justification for <laughs> worship songs. They'll say it is emotionally preparing us for the sermon. That's well, empiricism. Whoa, hold on. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I, I, needed to be, I needed to be emotionally tuned up right. to be able to encounter God. Right. Well, yeah, it's immediately buying. You're buying that. a whole set of assumptions of, of a way of knowing in the world right. that the Christian tradition has not adopted really until the 19th century. Right. It's, it's one of the issues I know that you feel about with devotional literature, which is like, let me kind of emotionally ninja you from behind, and then like I'll give you, and then you'll be ready for the truth, right? Right. Like I got you teared up, and so now you're ready mm-hmm. to hear the like the truth about who yeah. God is and what He's done. Mm-hmm. Well, here's my question because I think it. What was before empiricism? So like what was Christian thought and how we interacted with knowing God before that hit that the movement. scene? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was, oh gosh. Um, but there was a, you know. <laughs> Tell us, Here we go. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, <clears throat> before the Enlightenment period, which is kind of the, that's not the, the first time empiricism shows up on the map, but it's certainly when it becomes like a full-fledged way of thinking about thinking. Mm-hmm. You, you had what we called the pre-modern period because empiricism is very much knit to the period in history called modernity. Uh, this is thinkers like Descartes. That's the modern turn. John Locke, John Francis Locke, Bacon. Emmanuel Kant, yep. all these guys. Um, but that pre-modern period that existed maybe right up to Descartes, and which was, that was kind of the big engine, it had a very different way of thinking about the whole scope of reality yeah. and about how we think about thinking as an endeavor. So with Descartes, which is the beginning of modernity, the self becomes the primary subject by which everything is assessed to be true. Mm. The Latin phrase homo mensura, man is measure. <laughs> this matters. Of all, you of probably have fun dinner to, uh, you know, conversations mm-hmm. to have later. And you You're going to wow all Latin. your friends. <laughs> wow your friends. It's true, but it, but it does matter because it is, uh, again, we're, we're educated into thinking about thinking this way. Right. Like, because here's, yeah. it doesn't matter that you know the phrase, it matters that you and I, like, maybe the way to say is that we didn't this. show up yeah. as, as like mushrooms with like, the yeah. ways of knowing that God has always intended for us. Exactly. You and I have the DNA of all of the theology and all of the philosophy mm-hmm. that has come before us. Like we're part of a huge family tree mm-hmm. that we are simply indoctrinated into really from birth. Like it is every, it's the air that we breathe. Yeah. You, you, uh, you said a phrase a couple of weeks ago about something totally unrelated to any of this. And you said, everybody has gone to seminary and they don't even know it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Yes. Like, He's gotten really quotable lately. Well, he's hanging out with fun. you. Yeah. I just <laughs> right? follow your Twitter feed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Saving that one for uh-huh. six months later. Yeah. Start favorite <laughs> that. That'll be a sermon illustration. <laughs> I do that. Um, okay. Wait. So, yeah. so I have a question then. Because uh-huh. based on the timeline you just described, how do you link empiricism with um, uh, rationalism? No. Like Romanticism? No. Okay. One more. Revivalism. Oh, well, uh, man. Yeah. Well, okay, so <laughs> when, when the self becomes... Wait, tell people what revivalism yeah. is first. Sure. You yeah. guys know about revivalism? Yeah, Slowly yeah. tell Thank them you. about... Thank why don't you. I do that part? Yeah, so that you, we can yeah. all make sure on, we're on the same page. So it's around the late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm-hmm. And this, so this is... So first you have what we call the Great Awakening, right? First. Uh, with Jonathan... <laughs> it's important. First okay, Great Awakening. The First Great Awakening <laughs> with Jonathan Edwards. Mm-hmm. Big revival... 
Um, and then you have sort of this thing that happens afterwards, um, which is referred to often as the Second Great the Awakening. Second Great Awakening. Yeah. And it's when you hear uh, names like Charles Finney. Have you ever heard of Charles Finney? You may never have heard of him, mm-hmm. but you, I trust me, you have been influenced by him. Yeah. He comes up with the anxious bench that sits at the front. He, does, he comes up with the invitation. Altar call. The altar call. Uh, and and um, they're also accompanying the Second Great Awakening. There's a lot of emotionalism. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, is there is the timing of these two ideas? For sure. Yeah. Well, because with, uh, with that turn with Descartes, who is this French philosopher who begins to conceive of man as an autonomous individual mm-hmm. who is now the main or the sole determiner of what is mm-hmm. true outside of himself, mm-hmm. okay? Um, you know that famous phrase, I think, therefore I am? Mm-hmm. That's Descartes. And you, a lot of times we hear that phrase, and we're like, oh, yeah, that sounds really nice and novel. It was the biggest turn in the history of ideas maybe ever. I mean, just massive, but we're still answering this question. Like, you think of, we just joked about Inception. Like, Inception, The Matrix, movies, like, the, 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 these movies are about trying to figure out how do you know what reality is? Right. Mm-hmm. How can you know what is truth? Because Descartes has this experience, just briefly, that fundamentally changes the way that he thinks he interacts with the world and yeah. God or what is true. And he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, he thinks that he is sitting by his fireplace, he's having a nice glass of something, smoking his cigar, reading a book, he's got his dog next to him, and he can actually feel the, f- the flames of the fireplace, the warmth coming off the flames of the fireplace onto his face. And he's having this incredible night. And you know what happens? He wakes up. It was all a dream. And he actually has a crisis of knowing. Because he says, I would have put everything on this idea that I am by the fireplace, but I'm actually in my bed. How can I know that I'm not dreaming right now? How can you know that you're not dreaming right now? What if right now you're at home? <laughs> I feel like I could think of a better, better dream. In your nice footy pajamas. <laughs> Somebody right now is like, I wish. Yeah, you're yeah. like, I signed up for the wrong workshop. I took a nap before I got here, so I feel like the odds are low. But. But so, and I don't want to belabor the idea, because and he has this crisis, yep. which th- it is that moment where we move from the modern era yep. to, this moder- to, to modernity or the enlightenment, where yep. he says, the only arbiter of truth is... That I can think. That, that I, I can know. think, my mind. And mm-hmm. from that root emerges all different ways of people trying to process that. And revivalism is an extension of an extension of processing that. Because yep. revivalism emerges from the fertile <laughs> soil of romanticism, which says how we feel is really how we know mm-hmm. what's true. Which and, is, Elizabeth touched on that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, then re, and then revivalism comes right yeah. from that. And it's, a, it's simply a Christian-y application of an idea that was really fertilized with Descartes. So if that's the way that we know, the way that you preach, the way that you mm-hmm. teach, the way you write devotional material, the way, you structure your church. the way you structure your church, if you think that people know through romanticism or you think they know through rationalism or you think they know through empiricism and those words don't matter, but the ideas behind them do, everything that you do as a pastor or as a minister or a theologian changes. Mm-hmm. Everything. Because your goal is get people feeling things. Yep. Or your goal is get people thinking things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because if we can get them there, we can get them to God. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking about this a little bit, but so there are a range of things that complicate our knowledge of God. We've been talking about one of them, which is that we are not blank slates when it comes to our process of knowing, how we actually come to know things. We actually have been built out either in the history of ideas or education or our upbringing to know things in a certain way that doesn't jive with how the Bible commends us to know things. What are some of the other big things that complicate knowledge of who God is? What's a big thing that complicates knowledge of who God is? I mean, I think, at least for me, it's just the other inputs from, like we're constantly being shaped by different things mm-hmm. and different influences. And so our ideas of who God is are influenced by the music we listen to, the TV we watch, the community we hang out with, and the amount of time we spend in those spaces versus mm-hmm. the amount of time we spend in the Word. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's those places in which we're being shaped to think about God in specific ways that don't line up with what the Word says, but are very convincing because everyone around us is speaking that same language. Which, which one that you feel like doesn't get enough airtime that does concern you? Like, what's one of those external things that you feel like, I, if, like this, this concerns me, we don't, we're not talking about it? I mean, I don't know if we're not necessarily talking about it, but I think the one that I engage with more is that there's no absolute truth of who God is, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. that, idea, tr- that, that idea. idea. Like it can be whatever you think it is mm-hmm. and whatever I think he is, you know, and that's just good enough. And there's not just 
one absolute objective truth out there that I see I'm kind of this postmodernist thinking, moving yep. away from more of subjective. Whatever you kind of feel is whatever is good, and that's not what Scripture says. Right. And to me, that's really, especially with this particular, our younger generation, I mean, the dynamics mm-hmm. of that and implications for that are huge. Well, and we sort of created this problem yeah. because we said, you know what Christianity is about? It's about you. It's about mm-hmm. a God of the universe wanting a personal relationship with you, girl. And, um, and guys. And, uh, yeah, I received. And bro. Yeah, thank and you. Um, but... Uh, and it, which is not to say that it isn't that, <clears throat> mm-hmm. right? But when Christ comes preaching, he comes preaching the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so we have then made this about me and my mm-hmm. self-actualization. Mm-hmm. And instead of about, it, it, is, it is about you, mm-hmm. but it is, only, it is also about us. Yeah. And it is about the, yeah. the transcendent God of the universe. Yeah. And God's so, glory in you. Yeah, yeah. God's glory yeah. in you. And then you brought up, Elizabeth, in your session earlier, something that I think shapes our perception of God way more than we give a lot of thought to it, and that is that nuclear family that we came from. Uh, I I have reflected so often on how, um, because I had a healthy relationship with my earthly father, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I got the short route to, to trusting the Lord. Yeah. I, I, why wouldn't God be good? Mm-hmm. Because my earthly father is good. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I, the more common experience, I think, is the other one. Mm-hmm. And, and that is that those associations have so much power oh, yeah. over mm-hmm. us and are so hard. It's so hard to fight through those things to, yeah. to what the Bible is saying is true about I've, I've, I found one of the best ways to fight through some of those things is to do theology in community. Yeah. Because mm. if, if theology is about individuals or only personal relationships with God, then only my background, my gender, my experiences, my presuppositions yeah. mm. comes to play on how I read the Bible. Yeah. But if I'm doing theology with people who are not like me, who have other experiences, mm-hmm. other family of origins, then all of a sudden I begin to get a richer picture of who God is mm-hmm. because I can only, and, it, and I, I shouldn't apologize for seeing God the way that I've been trained to see him as the, as the person that I am, but I'm dependent on other perspectives to help me see who God is also. And that doesn't just include contemporary community. That includes the historical community mm-hmm. that we have also, brothers and sisters, right. this kind of great hall of saints we've yeah. done before us trying to give us a picture We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. Have you ever wondered what is God's heart towards you? In this noisy world, God's heart beats hard with love and mercy. But how can God share his heart with us when he doesn't have our attention? You're invited to spend 100 days discovering the beautiful, merciful heart of God with Overflowing Mercies, a new devotional by Craig Allen Cooper. The Lord is not ashamed of you or quick-tempered toward your faults. Each one of your weaknesses, faults, frailties, and failures does more to arouse God's love than to stir up His anger. If you could fathom in some small way how warmly God truly feels about you, the faintest grasp of His immeasurable affection would reduce you to tearful wonder and heartfelt gratitude. As God's mercies are new every single morning, overflowing mercies will continue to be a constant well of refreshing comfort, encouragement, and strength. It's perfect for personal quiet times, family and dinner table devotions, and small groups. Let this devotional help you get intentional, stay connected to God, and continue loving others. Order your copy of Overflowing Mercies, 100 Meditations on the Tender Heart of God today at moodypublishers.com or wherever great books are sold. of who God is also. That's good. So to pivot a little bit here, uh, I want to ask a question um, that maybe, maybe will stir us up a little bit. Um, should <laughs> I try to, when I'm coming to the Bible, should I try to lay down all my theological beliefs and conclusions so that I can read it purely? 
Should I essentially be like, okay, I want to read the Bible. I'm tr- I want to know who God is. Are, are you? I'm just going to stand up. Okay. I was like, <laughs> like are you we've offended him. <laughs> JT's, <laughs> JT's like, I'm JT out of here. JT is going to flip a table. Um, <laughs> I was like, you did not have a mic drop moment yet to walk off the big time. Like <laughs> I haven't tweeted anything you said Yeah, we're waiting yet, for it. So, um, so should I try to lay down all my theological beliefs and conclusions so I can read the Bible purely? Is that what, it, is that what good Bible reading is? Is for me to go, okay, I got to take off everything. I want to read without any lenses. Because if Descartes was un, unfairly coloring um, the, maybe the way that we come to know God do, is the only way to really know who God is. It's just this pure, unfiltered, unbiased reading of Scripture. I mean, I think that's ideal to say that you can actually do that. I was going to say, I hope not, because <laughs> we're all in big trouble. Sure. Would you, would you, uh, would you commend, re- I maybe ask it in a positive way, would you commend reading Scripture through theological lenses? Like reading Scripture with the rule of faith. This is what I'm thinking about here. You know what I'm talking about? No. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, so like, so when Slowly. we're... Slowly. Thank you. Um, so when we're trying to get to an understanding of God's word, uh, there can be, I think, a temptation for folks. Because uh, the question that I often hear from people is, should I read the Bible with a theology already built out in my mind? Or do I get my theology purely okay. from Scripture? I have formulated a response. Okay. Um, <laughs> Well, we all await. So we can't, right? We all get that we can't Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing to not be able to read the Bible that way and know it, and it's another thing to not be able to read that Bible the way that way and not know it. And Mm -hmm. so, and, and this is something that you guys do such a good job of in the training program is asking people to assess what story they are living in. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so there are competing stories for what's true. And even if I'm living in one of those stories and I know it's probably not the right story, just knowing what my story is that I tend to be operating in helps me then begin to look for clues as to how I can get to the right story. Right. So it's one thing to read assuming that you don't have presuppositions. And it's another thing to read, assuming that you do, and asking some questions about what they are. And I'm actually saying I think it's good sometimes to read with those front of mind. Okay, give an example of how that's so. Good. Like, um, so let's imagine that somebody is about to read John one one through eighteen. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I will often commend a new believer. Hey, you should read the Nicene Creed or the Chalcedonian Creed before you read that passage. Preach. Okay, so see, see now this is where I felt like we'd have oh, a day. We're gonna have a see, fight. Yeah, see, well, this is what I thought. I was trying to, I, I, I was trying you know to provoke he is standing? you. This cracks me up. He, yeah, Lauren knows he's standing Uh-oh. because his back hurts. It yeah. does. My back hurts. And I'm this getting is old. funny to me because you're what, 15 years old? I'm, thir- I'm 33. He's 33. And I was teasing him on the last podcast about how he looks like one of those pre- presidential before and after pictures. It's <laughs> because I have to manage you. Yeah. And so then this morning he's like, oh, my back hurts. And I was like, I'm enjoying this so much. However I want to do I some look, jumping jacks as I was sitting in my first class that. seat. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so anyway. So does, does the question make more sense now? Like, so I would... If so somebody, yeah, but we're going to rumble. So well, like you're saying like, oh, read the creeds before you read this. Yep. Yeah, because... There is a, uh, because we are all coming to John 1, 1 through 18 with a set of lenses. It's indisputable. You can't not have them. You can't not have them. So what I would say is put on the right set of lenses. It'd almost be like if you came to me and were like, (laughs) I'm going to read this book. And and you were like, but I can't, like my vision's blurry. I wouldn't give you like glasses that didn't meet your prescription. I'd go, let's get you the right glasses so that you can read it clearly. Because you're going to have glasses. You're going to need them. So I would say, read Chalcedon, read Nicaea, and then come to John 1, 1 through 18 and go, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Hmm. When he says, in the beginning was God. God from God. Life from God. Life from God. Life from life. Boom, 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 <laughs> boom. Rational is a mystery because I'm in love with you right now. Exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. That's why I have to sit between them. Um, okay. So, um, so let me just push on it a little bit. I want and you I, to. You're not, you're not wrong. Uh, but but let me just let me throw the Bible teacher thing in there. Okay? Is that your endorsement of me as a as Jen mm-hmm. Wilkin? Uh, Kyle mm-hmm. Worley is Kyle not Worley. wrong. Put it on your not, not, not entirely wrong. Not yeah. entirely wrong. Yeah. I'll take it. It'll move it's going to be on the big show. Oh my gosh! This afternoon, Kyle Worley not wrong. Yeah, for sure. Kyle Worley definitely not wrong all the time. So so sure. And this is the tension that we're always pushing on each other in: is that you need theology to accompany the Bible. But you also need 
the Bible to accompany theology. So where do you start, right? And, and most of us start wherever we find ourselves when we have a crisis of understanding around our faith. And so you have a little of both. Uh, and so I think the reason that you give me heartburn when you say things like that yeah. is because I don't, I perceive the, the biggest need in the rooms that I'm stepping into is that they have a little theology, but they have virtually no firsthand mm-hmm. knowledge of their sacred text. Sure. So it would But do be, they have good theology? Let's just say for a second <laughs> that they have some theology that they've collected over the years. Okay, I definitely good, I know they bad, have that. whatever. Um, and what they have of the Bible, and in, in almost uh, just very frequently, mm-hmm. they only have secondhand knowledge of the Bible. They're, they heard what someone taught on John 1 1. And so, um, and that's what they remember. In fact, they probably made notes in their Bible. <laughs> and, and every time they flip to John 1 1, they read the same note they wrote there 10 years ago, and yep. they go, nailed it. I know John 1 1. Right. And so uh, I think that it's important to say, do you actually just. Could you summarize John 1, 1 through 18? Mm. Like, and I'm not even looking for you to give me an interpretation or tell me what to do with it, but could you just write that, paraphrase it in your own words? Uh, and obviously, even that is going to have some cloudiness yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But that, so you might say that, that Chalcedon or, or the Nicene Creed are the starting point for wrapping your head around theology, and I would agree. Mm-hmm. And I would say that comprehending the basic just bones of the text mm-hmm. is the starting point for um, getting a handle on the, on the Bible. Yeah. And you need them both, mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's important to judge the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm and know which, which thing you need to press on at which time. Fair enough. So what we're disagreeing on here is 1% of 99, of 100% of like how to do this. Yeah. But I think he's saying something a little bit different than what you just said. I think he's saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle, it's not just that knowing the apostles and I see in Chalcedonian creeds or a confession or whatever it might be is your starting place for knowing theology. I think he's saying it can also be your starting place for knowing the Bible well. Like it's what actually produces Bible literacy. I don't like that. Look, Ooh. these are my people. You better I know. know. Well, no, there's no doubt that we're outnumbered in this room by a significant Our margin. Our in the parking lot have already been slipped. No, for yeah. sure. But uh, I, do, I do think a lot of this it can be contextual. It can, uh, these it can people be. right here with their eager faces and their good desire to do mm-hmm. good in the local church, I mean, this is a problem. Well, but, but I will say this. That in they the, know Keep it. in mind, the creeds are forged, specifically Nicaea. I love the creeds, P.S. I know you do. Do you know that We're I fans. wrote a study on the, on the Apostles' Creed one time? Really? Before I thought people might actually do studies over entire books of the Bible. You should have sold it back Listen, then. Listen, here's the crack up about it. I wrote this study and I taught it in a Southern Baptist church where mm. they'd never once even heard the creed. They mm. thought maybe Satan had written it. They weren't sure. <laughs> And so I had like four people show up for this class and I just hammered through for, of course, 11 weeks. Well, yeah, so of course I 11. actually love the But creeds. what we need to say is the answer you're giving, though it could be totally right, <coughs> is a new answer. It is. It's a new answer post-enlightenment. Because Nicaea and Chalcedon were the ways that the church was instructing a largely illiterate group of people into catechesis. That's exactly right. So it's like people couldn't read the Bible. Like, right. this is not okay. what Calvin says, this is not what Luther says, not what Augustine, this is not, like, like... The entire history of the church up until 1800 would have said yeah. catechism first. Totally. Because of lack of access to the scriptures. Yes. Yeah. yes. So then how do we balance the fact that we have unprecedented and, access and to that's, the that's the question. I think that's the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And we won't answer that today. Here's how I think we answer it. Oh, okay. I know you're all stunned I have an answer that I think <laughs> yeah. would fit here. Um, to whom much has been given, much is required. But that yeah. includes tradition. I'm not saying it doesn't include tradition. Yeah. I'm saying that there is a, that we, um, because of the unprecedented access we have to the scriptures, we have a higher, we have a greater responsibility than generations before us have yep. to, to mine the text. Like I get no that what I do now wouldn't have existed 500 years ago, mm. 800 years ago. I get that the printing press started the trajectory toward yeah. what I'm doing now, but what I'm doing now matters for this, this generation of the church. So, and, and so, but, I, but, but it also needs to be looking back toward the entire 2000 history. Yep. We, we agree on 99.9% of all of this. Really where we disagree, we're just but making in typical, it bigger than it is. in typical JT style, we're gonna I'm, take the 0.1%. Well, I, I wanna ask you a question. <laughs> One of my goals this year uh-huh. for my little boy, Thomas, he's mm-hmm. three and a half, was to walk through the New City Catechism. I'm it's, for it. It's 52 weeks, and every night we do a question, 
and we do that question for the week, and then for a month, we'll do the next, like we do those four, mm-hmm. yeah. and then we'll start over. So he's through three right now, and hearing him say, the third question is, how many persons are there in God? And he says, uh, what does he say? There is, how does it go? There is... Uh, one God, there are, th- there are three persons in God. Don't blow there, this. There are th- I got it, I got it. There are three persons in one God. God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like sprints through just, Like He just wants to get through it, so he finishes it, you know? Uh, but I want to Because he's afraid that. he won't get dinner if he... <laughs> There's no doubt. If you're not a Trinitarian in my house, you do not eat. Oh, gosh. Lord. No, I, you eat a little bit. You eat. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, you're for this? Yeah. Okay. I am. I'm for it. But, but at the same time, you would say, like, and we would agree with you, just so everybody's clear here. If you were like, all, if all he ever did was walk through New City Catechism and that he never trained Thomas how to loss. read the Bible, you'd be like, wow. But the reason failed. I'm doing yep. this is I'm trying to give him this pre-modern lens. Yes. I'm trying to train his presuppositions yep. so that when he reads John 1.1, 1, 1, he knows, oh, there are well, three and really, in this one is God. kind of a bad example because no one, uh, well, some people are, but most people are not questioning that those creeds are articulating orthodox belief. I get it. I'm saying that if you want a litmus test, you know, that's a good, that's a, that is a historic place to go. Yeah. And so the, the, those don't give me heartburn. Mm. <clears throat> They've stood the test of time. But normally what's happening is you have women who have, mm. women or men, who have... Um, like a folk theology. A folk theology. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that shit, and that's coloring that they're starting with, yes. yeah. yeah, and then they're laying it on top of an, an, uh, an ignorance of the text. It's good, it's good. In true knowing faith fashion, that was a question we did not have in our script. <laughs> we spent thirty minutes and on it. spent all of our time on it. So we, we're going to move into yeah. some questions that you guys have asked now. So these are also questions we were not prepared to answer today, um, and we got twenty nine. That's oh, wow. a lot. Of that's a lot of questions. And so you guys had a chance to upvote these. Uh, and we're going to roll through them together. Um, Are you going to filter these as they come through? I am. I am going to filter. I feel like this one is built for me, though, this first one, got all the votes. <laughs> any advice for women in churches where the pastors want women's ministry to happen organically and resist having any sort of uh, coordinator? I feel <laughs> oh, like... Oh, we're at, we're at Proclaim Truth now. Yeah, okay. I was like, yeah, let me give you a few thoughts on this. No, okay. this is not for me. I need you, you guys to <laughs> so answer So read the question, question again. again. Slowly. You're, you're a pastor. <laughs> and with feeling. Any with feeling. advice... <laughs> For women in churches where the pastors, they, they want women's ministry to happen organically mm-hmm. mm. and they resist having any sort of coordinator, even oh. volunteers. Oh, okay. Do you feel that question? You feel it? I feel it. Great. You, you guys know Kyle just planted a church and so Kyle got an earful from me on this. Yes. Can I tell them what you said? You can, you, you, anything I've told he you. He goes, I don't know, you know, we're going to have a lot going on with the startup. <laughs> so what if we just like send him down the street for Bible study? And I was like, oh, I'm going to hurt you right now. Because <laughs> I was like, you won't get him back. Mm-hmm. You know, you won't get him back. You might, you know, but start with what you want to run with. So what would you mm-hmm. tell this woman who's asking this question? This pastor, he wants a women's ministry, but he just wants it to kind of happen organically. No, I want you to speak to the pastor. Okay. Pastor. Um, well, if you're here, brother. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You've I done a very I, convincing job of yeah. dressing as <laughs> Yes. There are bigger issues yeah. that we need to talk about. Um, no, I think mm-hmm. if, um, listen, I, as somebody who's just trying to do this, and listen, I am... Like, I am walking on with crutches into trying to build a culture of female leadership. Also, it um, took Kyle two seconds to come up with the right answer, by the way, when, we, when I pushed him on it, so. Thank you. Um, but I think one of the things that we've been trying to do and that I would encourage you to come to your pastor uh, and just say, hey, listen, these are some things. This is a way that you can bless your pastor. Um, and uh, his response to this, I think, will say a lot about the kind of culture he wants to create in life at church. I think you come to him and say, listen, do you want to raise up the strongest female leaders that you possibly can. Like, do you want a culture here where the women love studying the Bible together, love learning how to teach the Bible together, uh, and love leading together? Do you want that kind of culture? If the answer to that question is yes, you say, great, that is going to require some leaders. It's just going to require leaders. And you know where you can go in the Bible to talk about this? Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That's good. You can say, listen, we need to have some champions for this. Yeah. We need to have some champions. And you need to help bless those champions publicly. Because you know as well as I do that if the, the guy, and it's always a guy at the helm of a church, if he doesn't 
bless it, mm-hmm. it's going to be swimming upstream. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, if, uh, I think if you can appeal to him in that way and say, listen, I want this church to be full of the strongest women of the word, rooted in the word, uh, and that's going to require leadership. And he goes, I don't really know. Then I, I think you now know a little bit about the culture uh, of what women's leadership is going to look like in the life of that church. How do we feel about that word organic? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now the audience is responding to the Q&A. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Tomato um, was just thrown up on stage. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I always try to point out um, to, to pastors that organic is the enemy of women's lives. Uh, we need predictability yeah. and structure to even be able to opt in. And so that's been just a, a huge gift at, at the village, you know, that we've been able to build out structured environments. Kyle's doing that at his church. Um, well, part, and it, it, in, in part because I did not realize, and guys, this is just like, I'm just confessing. And Jen and I think Caroline Smiley was another person who helped me see mm-hmm. this in new ways. She's teaching a breakout right now. Um, but I was just naive. I did not understand uh, like, and I'll just say this plainly, I didn't understand why women couldn't just get together and study the Bible. Yeah. And I didn't, I, I like, oh, hold on, sisters, okay? I, I'm saying it's where I was, okay? I'm not who I once was. I'm not who I one day will be, okay? Are you on that road too? Um, He's gone golly. from glory to glory. Man, did you hear him? They're like, Okay. Kyle's face is as red as his lumberjack. Well, yeah, golly. I'm just like trying to be my vulnerable self. I thought this was a safe place. But, but I, I didn't realize, and Jen and Caroline had said, do you realize that women bear structurally a lot more burden? Mm-hmm. They don't have all the free time. They can't do all the morning meetups. Mm-hmm. And they can't do all the late nights. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that. I remember uh, we started a theological training program a while back. This was a long time ago. And it started at 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. Yeah. And they, were like, they were like, it's going great. They're like, it's great, man. We only have like two women there. I was like, really? <laughs> huh. And it was three mornings a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I was God. like, yeah, guys, that's, that's kind of go time for women. That's kind of like, mm. yeah. And so um, it, it can, you need to gently help give that message. Women rely on structure and accountability and predictability to be able to opt in. And then and the other piece of it is, and excellence, yeah. But the other piece of that is, is... Um, <laughs> If a, if a pastor doesn't arrange for this to be done in his church, his women do not not go to Bible study. Mm-hmm. They just go to Bible study at a they church where they have provided structure and predictability. Sure. Yep. And we don't know what that church is teaching. So I'm always like, if you love, do- if you believe that your church's doctrine matters, mm-hmm. then why would you outsource half of your population to be discipled at whatever church they can find childcare? Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I feel like the room's kind of with me on this. I, we are all with you, Jen. Yeah, I am. I want to say for the record, I, want I am very much in Jen's team. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just don't want to get mugged on my way out of PCBC. <laughs> <laughs> Getting mugged in Park Cities has never happened. That's it would be the never first. Happened, yeah. um, I think to, I would add to that because I think sometimes it's hard, especially when you have power dynamics. Going on in a situation it's is important. to encourage just perseverance and just pressing. Um, to be able to continue to ask because in some sense it is a value issue mm-hmm. and so your pastor has to see the value of it and sometimes it takes more than one conversation uh-huh. more than one time sometimes it takes bringing quantitative data to be able to say hey this isn't just an idea these are mm-hmm. women that are gathering and they're going down there they should mm-hmm. be here mm-hmm. um, and just to really believe in it and keep pressing and know that God's faithful to be with you but don't get discouraged at the first conversation you have he's like well I don't really know uh-huh. keep going back um, because you're not worth it. Don't don't be motivated by don't be motivated by anger or frustration mm-hmm. in those conversations because you're do if you are speaking up on on this issue, you need to understand you're advocating for the other women yeah. in the church. So it can't be about you having a bone to pick. I get that it's frustrating, but that cannot be what motivates mm-hmm. those conversations. And also, all we talked about this last night. Yeah. Always assume the best yeah. about the person that you're mm-hmm. dealing with. It like. Kyle just told you, he wasn't clear on this. He's a great guy, you know? It's just that we only know our own experience, yeah. and so just be gentle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me just say one more thing on this. This um, is what we do with Q&As. We, we talk about one question for 45 minutes. <laughs> I know. Um, it's gonna be hard. That's, this is going to be a hard conversation yeah. if everyone's asking this. Yeah. It'd be a hard conversation for any of you. And you might feel like, i got to carry this for the women in the congregation. 
you're also doing it for the men in your congregation as well. Yes, right. mm-hmm. good point, Kyle. Um, and so, um, because any church where the women are not being called to the highest levels of leadership, disciple-making, mm-hmm. teaching, and reading God's word and saying God's word together, it, it's not just the women that suffer in that congregation. It's the whole body. Mm-hmm. It's the whole body. Everybody is worse off for it. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna fight for it, know that you're not just fighting for it because it's a women's issue for your church. You're fighting for it because it's a whole church issue. Mm-hmm. For your church and for the body corporate, globally mm-hmm. and historic. Not only are you not going to get mugged now, you're going to get hugged in the whole <laughs> way out. It's going to be a hug mug after that. <laughs> uh, okay, are the, um, well, let's see, we've got two that are kind of at the same place. Are the creeds a part of the canon? It was, somebody asked this clearly while we were talking about it, because they're like, mm, some shade on us. Um, <laughs> are the creeds a part of the canon? If not, then why not say they are an imperative part of understanding the Bible, but they are not the Bible? Yep. So, okay, so they're asking the question that we were kind of talking about. Mm-hmm. Creeds are not part of the canon. Yep. Okay, so then why, are they, sh- why should they factor into a big way, not equal with Scripture, but as a part of the church's collective understanding of faith and practice. Yeah, so uh, as clear as we can be, this is God's authoritative word. Only it is inspired, authoritative, inerrant, sufficient, worthy of preserving. Only this brings life. The creeds don't bring life. This is the instrument and the tool that God has used uh, since it has been put together as the word goes forth to change people, to regenerate us by the power of the Holy Spirit, to give us new life, and to sanctify us. This is the only word of God. Yep. And as Jen pointed out, we should, be, we should steward this because we've been given an incredible gift uh, with God's authoritative word. What we're talking about when we talk about creeds or councils or confessions is that they have a different kind of authority, yeah. but they're not not authoritative. Right. The way that the reformers talked about this is that the Bible had a magisterial authority or like a kingly authority, and the creeds or the councils have a ministerial or an underlying authority. So, and maybe another example would be is, is the creeds are, are what we use to help us read God's word better. Yeah. So since it is the magisterial authority and since it is what the canon is, since it is what is inspired, we want to be good readers of it. Mm-hmm. We don't want to be bad readers mm-hmm. of it. And so I would suggest that the creeds aren't adding to the canon. They're helping solve the problem of Bible illiteracy. They're an, they're an interpretive tool. That's yes. right. And, and I would say it this way. They're the ultimate paraphrase or yes. the ultimate yeah. summer, like summary. The Apostles' Creed is the story of the Bible in 12 lines. So you guys know who follow like the method that we use for our Bible studies. Um, we're always asking you to summarize and paraphrase. And we're always saying, you're gonna be bad at it, but you'll get better at it. The creeds would be a really good summary and paraphrase that has stood the test of 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, that, so they carry the authority of having stood the test of time. It is not the authority of the scriptures, but insofar as they are articulating what the scriptures say, um, that was that was. Can I give one more example on yeah. that? Because you mentioned the term "rule of faith" earlier, yeah. and I think that's a really important rule. Just have you, anybody heard the term "rule of faith" before? If you haven't. It's totally fine. This is important. I'm going to try to do this in 90 seconds or less, because uh, I did it on Wednesday and it was less than 90 seconds. Uh, <laughs> less than or more than? Uh, it was more, much more than. Sorry, I was about it was more to say, than. It was less much, than doesn't sound than, like And it was you. not in my notes, and I had to cut. <laughs> yeah. I had to cut a lot of other stuff out. <laughs> Irenaeus is one of the. Irenaeus is a second-century church father. He was a pastoring in France. He was a big fan of Bible literacy. He would love what's going on here today, I would, I would like to believe. But he was dealing with opposition, a heresy called Gnosticism. You see kind of the early forms of Gnosticism in things like 1 John and other places. And the challenge is, is and this is really important for you to understand, especially as we're at a conference talking about Bible literacy, every single heresy in the history of the Christian church has arisen from where? The Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bible, misinterpretations of the Bible. Every single heretic has a Bible verse, every single one of them. Mm -hmm. Every heresy arises from within the church. And so Irenaeus has a problem on his hands. If he's dealing with a Gnostic, he can't just point to other Bible verses because a heretic is pointing to to other Bible verses. Mm -hmm. So he basically says you need to have this rule or a legend, if you're thinking about like a map, in order to help you read it appropriately. And he says it's the church through the creeds that's been given this rule. And so he uses this analogy where he says, imagine a Roman floor with, uh, with like a mosaic on it. And the mosaic is a picture of a beautiful king with a, with a sky and sun I'm and stars. I'm loving this analogy. And, yeah, you, you yeah, like this? Thank you. <laughs> uh, and there's like mountain and a stream, whatever, whatever the mosaic looks like. Imagine it's beautiful. And uh, you know what it looks like because you have the legend. But a robber, a heretic comes in and they want to steal 
and the mosaic is God's word. They want to steal it and use it for their own purposes. And they chip up every single piece of the mosaic. They put it in a bag. They take it back to their house, but they don't have the legend. And so they're putting this mosaic back together however they want. And instead of looking like a king, it looks like a fox. Is it, does it make sense? Yeah. Can you put it together? Yeah, that's what every heresy is. Mm. It's misunderstandings of God's word. And so it's this picture that the church has, whether it's a creed or council, that helps us put the mosaic, which is the important part. The legend isn't the important part, but it helps us put the mosaic back together the right way. That's great. That's really helpful. It's good. I didn't um, time it, but it felt... felt it was like, probably it, longer It, it felt that. a little bit we'll longer. We'll keep working but, on it. Um, uh, any advice... Uh, let's see. I was see. talking slowly. I help teach and lead a Bible study at my church, but the more I study God and his word, the more I feel like I don't know enough to teach. <laughs> Should I stop? Yes. No. <laughs> oh, I was like, wow. Wow. Okay, I was like, man, somebody's going to cry. Like, somebody's out there just like, oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah. Man, it's <laughs> um, No, don't. I think... You're in a good space. That's precisely uh, how you need to feel. That's the humility, I think, that recognizes the magnitude of who God is and just that we will never know everything we need to know, but it also keeps us hungry and wanting to continue to dig, to be yep. responsible for the information. Yep. And so I think as long as you're in a space of, hey, I don't know enough, you're in a good space yep. for teaching. That's good. Mm-hmm. If a teacher doesn't have that, I want them to have it. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Because it's, a, it's not just humility. It, he, the humility is a product of a recognition of reality. Mm-hmm. You, you don't. You cannot contain the character mm-hmm. of God in your words. Like there's a real. I wish I had it, but it's a great quote in uh, the Confessions where Augustine tries to say this. He says, "Who, who that knows what there is to know of you would dare to speak about you? Like I can't. I can't find the words mm-hmm. to do justice to it." And then he follows up that idea by saying, um, "But who that knows who you are would dare to keep silent." Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the calling of the teacher is I'm always pulled between I can't do this and I must do this. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you're in the right spot. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, I'm just like, need a second to let that wash <laughs> over me. Um, teaching is always stepping out in risk too. Yeah. Yep. Like every single time. And you won't always say it right. No. Mm-hmm. You- but you cannot let the fear of saying something wrong mm-hmm. keep you from saying what you can that's, that's right. going to be helpful. Right. Like, and this uh, is why it's good to have, you know, like I know that people see Elizabeth and me, actually all of us mm-hmm. go and speak places that are not our local church. Um, that local church context is what roots yep. me because mm-hmm. I can say it wrong mm-hmm. and I can come back the next week and say, that one right. Can yep. I get a do-over mm-hmm. on that? And let's yeah. keep moving forward. Yeah, it's yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got time for probably at least one more here. Um, okay. When the women in our studies see God as a cuddly bear slash daddy, <laughs> um, uh, how would you, I don't know if it's cuddly bear and cuddly daddy or just cuddly bear and then daddy is different. How would you approach this with grace and, uh, and attribute God's holiness as well? So essentially somebody's asking if they just have this view of God that's kind of like, you know, grandfather give me everything I want. Abba Daddy God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you help them understand, listen, this God is holy and transcendent. He's high and other than. Mm -hmm. How how do we help people with that? I'm going to do a whole session on it a little bit. Oh, you are? Don't give away the cards. Yeah, don't don't play it yet. Um, Yeah. Um, I think it's important to ask, so here's what, there is a, we joke that we love ideas more than people, so we're going to try really hard to not demonstrate that. Um, I don't. When you love people more than ideas, <laughs> you ask, what is appealing about that, right? And I think what is appealing goes back to what Elizabeth pointed out, that our, heaven, our, heavenly, our perception of our Heavenly Father is shaped by our earthly Father. And I find almost across the board that the reason that people are drawn to that image of Abba Daddy is because they had a distant earthly father Mm. and they really, really need to know that he is that. And so I, 20 years ago, I wanted to knock their legs out from them and say, see a transcendent God. Uh, But now I realize that there is a reason. Mm -hmm. And so I try to ask people to examine their motives. Now, I don't be like, why don't you examine your motive? You're going to have to be more subtle about it than that, right? You can say, he is this thing. Mm -hmm. But this thing becomes more precious to us when we understand that he is also 
this thing. And a lot of times I've taught it with just the opening to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven. He is both of those things. And if we only treasure this version of him and not this version, then we are going to suffer under some wrong assumptions. And if we only have this version of I know a lot of people who only think God thunders from on high. Mm. Uh, and we don't have this near, near and close father, uh, then we will labor under a different set of, of confusions. And so it, we have to hold them in tension. Yeah, yeah. I think a, a tension between like the freedom that we have to worship mm-hmm. God or be in relationship, but also the gravity uh, that that entails. I was reading, I'll, I'll just read it quickly, in Exodus chapter 20 a couple days ago. And I was just struck by this, pa- I've read this passage before, but was struck in a new way. This is immediately after Moses has received the 10 commandments. They're yeah. there at Mount Sinai, the people of Israel there, Moses is here. And he kind of is this mediator between the presence of God and the people of God. He's prefiguring this Christ who's going to be the one who stands between God and the people. And it says this, when all the people saw thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of a trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid. Mm-hmm. And I'd found myself, this is not, this is not a drive by guilting or shame. Like when was the last time I was afraid of God? Yeah. That's just is, and like, again, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to put that disposition in you. I'm trying to say that was a disposition I have not had in a while in the sense of like, there should be a holy reverence yeah. and a holy fear for how I come before the Lord, for how I live and act and conduct myself before the Lord. Because it says they were afraid by what they saw. And then it continues and says this, They trembled, they stood far off. They said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen. Do not let God speak to us because we will die. Mm -hmm. That just blew my mind. And it's this idea that God's presence with us always receives some kind of mediation because if it doesn't, it will melt our faces off. And Jesus becomes this mediator for us, this one who... Who, I mean, this is why Moses has to go into the cleft every single time. You think of Isaiah, like every time somebody has an encounter with God, what is their first response? Is it, is it Abba, you're here. Mm-hmm. It's, oh my goodness, I'm not supposed to be here. Yep. I'm completely unworthy. Let me get on my face. Let me leave. Help me, somebody get in the way. Yep. And that's why Jesus. Yeah. 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 So 40 years later, the take on this. Yeah when Moses is retelling to the people about the scene that, that, that JT just read to you, uh, this is what it says. Um, and the Lord heard your, so he says, you were afraid and you trembled and you said, you go talk to him or we will die, right? And then this is, this is what Moses tells the people. He says, and the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. That's right. They're, and then listen to this next part. Oh, that they had such a mind as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments mm-hmm. that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. Yeah. So the Lord confirms that they were right to view him with reverence and awe. And then you get to Hebrews chapter 12 yeah. and we hear about coming to the foot of Mount Zion and it goes through all of this. You have the mediator. You have, you know, you, Christ is the mediator. It's, it's the better place. You know, you don't come in, in fear and trembling. You come in joyful um, celebration. And then what's the last line of the chapter? It kills me. It says, for our God is a snuggly Abba Daddy Father. <laughs> no, in the New snuggly. Testament, on this side of the cross, it says, for our God is a consuming snuggly. fire. And so that's the thing. And I think, you know, this is a question that has a lot to do with your context, right? Because there's what the individual needs from the idea that God is Abba Daddy. And then there is what the collective subculture wants when we're all saying that together in concert. And so I'm always looking to ask, what is the individual saying? And then also, (laughs) what does this room think? Mm -hmm. Um, And then how to, because you would handle those differently. Yeah. A one-on-one conversation. And I think, I think specifically with the question, and like if I'm engaging with one person, I think a lot of times we don't read those passages. Mm-mm. We stick in kind of the same rut of, and we stay in the same books and the same places mm-hmm. that are comfortable for us, and we don't read the entirety of Scripture to see God 
throughout from the old to the new. Mm-hmm. Is I think when we are challenging people to, and why don't you get out of some places that you feel comfortable in and read about who God is in some of these other books of the Bible to have a more holistic view, encouraging us to see the full story. And I think just we just got to push people out of their comfort zones yeah. um, to see him beyond Abba Father and to see him as the consuming fire and to balance attention at both those. That's right. And I think a couple of ways that you can do that in your community of faith, because you've heard a good appeal that it should be done, that we should come mm-hmm. to understand it. But two ways the church has historically tried to cultivate this ongoing awareness of God's holiness is through lament mm-hmm. and corporate confession of sin. Mm-hmm. Corporate confession of sin on a weekly basis where the church corporate gathers together to confess that they have sinned against God is a weekly way that the church has historically tried to cultivate a sense of the holiness of God and then lament, grieving over that which grieves our holy and perfect God. That's a good call. Yeah, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. Mm Yeah, because when we encounter the holiness of God, that is what it leads us to. Mm -hmm. Away from me for I'm a sinful man, yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that live podcast from Proclaim Truth back in January of 2019. We had a great time being there. On our next episode, we're going to be kicking off the third season of Knowing Faith. We are so pumped to be back. We are so pumped to be able to give you new episodes every week over the course of the fall semester. So we hope you will stick with us as we cover the Apostles' Creed and journey through the book of Acts in the third season. Stick with us.